Welcome to this IRF podcast with John Boyer, Managing Director of Boyer Research. IRF is a company specialising in introducing high quality and differentiated independent researchers to the investment professional community around the globe. These podcasts are designed to promote our providers and allow investors to hear latest insights from seasoned market practitioners and get an introduction to our providers. So with this in mind, we're delighted that John can join us today. His father, Mark, set up Boyer Research in 1975, which, which makes it the longest running research firm that we represent. Today, with a team of five analysts based in New York, they spend their time finding US equity ideas through very detailed fundamental research. Each year, they write on at least 40 names across a number of publications and are very well known for their piece, The Forgotten 40, which is their favorite 40 ideas for the year ahead. Boyer Research's track record is most impressive, having significantly outperformed since inception and particularly on a one, three, five and seven year basis. You may have come across John before. He is a regular speaker at the Value Conference and you may have seen him being interviewed in the transcript in Barron's. Welcome, John. Great to have you with us today. Edward, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure uh, speaking with you and it's been great working with you. I think we were uh, one of your first research providers that you represented and it's been fantastic on our side. That's very kind of you to say. Yeah, we've really enjoyed the relationship and I think we've probably known each other for seven or eight years now, I'd imagine. Um, and since we launched the company five years ago, Boyer Research, we've had a lot of success with in introducing to funds. So why don't you start, John, by telling us a little bit more about how Boyer Research came to being about? Sure, absolutely. And you know, you, you covered a lot of it in the, in the introduction. It was it was founded by my father in, in 1975. You know, I, th I think we're one of the oldest subscription-based services on Wall Street, and a real point of pride of our firm is so we have managed to survive and and, and really thrive during many periods of, of market turmoil. And our subscriber base, you know, consists of hedge funds, mutual funds, family offices, basically anyone who can afford to take a longer term time horizon, who also, you know, has a, a valuation focus is someone who's a candidate for our service. Great stuff. And how does your team go about finding the ideas? What's the process? What's the methodology? No, absolutely. You know, there's really no magic formula, it would be much easier from kind of a marketing perspective if there was. It's really, you know, our team is is paid to come up with with ideas. And, you know, while value is is in our name, you know, we're the Boyer Value Group, we're, we're not traditional value investors. You know, rather what we like to do is take what we refer to as a, a business person's approach to, to stock market investing and we look for companies that are selling in the in the public markets at a significant discount to what we believe an acquirer would pay for them. So essentially, really what we do is take a private equity approach to public markets and critically important to avoid value traps, which is what you know a lot of value investors get in trouble with, is we look for catalysts, things that we think can make a stock ascend in value over a reasonable period of time. And, and that's something my father really has instilled in me and instilled in the team is you, you can find the greatest company in the world, but if there's no catalyst for value realization, it could stay cheap. I mean, some of the companies that he uh, you know, saw in the 70s uh, are still cheap today because there's no reason for the stock to, to go up. Um, and I think something that differentiates us is 
a lot of the ideas we profile are not traditionally statistically cheap, but they have value in other ways. You know, a, a very brief example of that is last May, I believe, you know, we profiled Twitter when it was in the, the low 30s. And while it wasn't statistically cheap, the network that it had was extremely valuable in our opinion and something that would be very costly and almost impossible in our opinion for someone else to 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 duplicate. Interesting. And what would you say is the typical time frame of your ideas? We're more patient than than most, which is frustrating for other people, but yeah, I'd say 2, 3 or 4 years is, you know, the time frame for it. But we look for high quality businesses, you know, that we can hold or our clients can hold for very long periods of time. So it might be a, a value to growth story, like when we profiled, you know, Microsoft and Home Depot in the, the uh, you know, 2006, 2007, when no one wanted to own them. And they were statistically cheap and they were great businesses, but then there was a growth story behind them as well. So you know, the, the ideas may take many years to, to work out, but there are also ideas that you can hold for very long periods of time. And for, for certain investors, that's particularly important because they have to pay taxes. Understood. And what, what, so what stocks, you mentioned their Home Depot and Microsoft, are they, are they two that you still have in the portfolio today? Are they the longest holdings, that longest period holdings that you have? Or have you got some even longer than that? Um, yeah, th those are names that we're not actively covering now because they're not cheap enough. But for, you know, we have a separate money management division and in, in many accounts, we still own it and they're disproportionate uh, size of certain individual portfolios. Um, every portfolio is obviously different because we're so tax sensitive and it's been the right thing to hold them. And those are obviously those are extreme examples because they've done extraordinarily well, but it really shows that value quote unquote value stocks can become growth stocks if you become if you're you're patient. And you mentioned to do with um, catalysts and unlocking, unlocking shareholder value through identifying catalysts, because I remember we've been around many meetings together before, and you've got some very impressive figures on the number of uh, companies that have ended up being acquired or being spun out um, that, you've, that you've covered. Could you go into a little bit more detail about those figures and, and some, some classic examples? Yeah, uh, because we're not looking at takeout candidates per se. But because we're looking at companies through the lens of an acquirer, a lot of the companies that we profile end up being acquired. It's just that's what ends up happening. We're looking at through the same lens as many private equity or strategic acquirers would. So I don't have an exact figure, but it's a significant percentage. And we're looking for you know different catalysts. You know, you know, you have an octogenarian effect. Uh, you know, find a company with an eighty-year-old man or woman you know at the helm sooner or later their heirs or themselves sell the business that that's certainly you know, it's somewhat morbid but it but it but it but it ha has worked you know, we look for companies that have the ability to buy back a lot of stock uh spin out a a, a division that's some, something that, that that certainly has happened in the past i mean there's lots of, of different ways we also look for companies that are not particularly well covered on the sell side, that that's something that, or have negative sell side coverage, that that's particularly helpful because all it takes is one or two, you know, analyst upgrades on these things and the stock could be off to the races. 
So, you know, we look for a lot of different ways stocks could ascend in value, uh, but value in and of itself is generally not its own catalyst um, because you could be holding a value trap for many years. One name that's come, has come up in a lot of meetings um, that you and I have had is John Malone of the Liberty Empire, because a lot of a lot of stocks that you get involved with are related to him, aren't they? Yeah, no, he's been a terrific value creator over a long period of time. He's generally pretty shareholder friendly. You know, a lot of his names we, we've done quite well in or, or we own, you know, such as uh, Charter or Liberty Broadband, uh, Liberty Braves. Um, you know, Liberty Sirius is another name we, we've written up that he does. And yeah, he uh, Curate um, is another name where he's been extraordinarily shareholder friendly. So, yeah, he's you, know, you want to find good people to partner with who, who, who do what's right for the shareholders over, over a long period of time. And um, one of the names I, I just mentioned was Liberty Braves. And I think over the next couple of years, this is a stock that's $25, $26. We think it's probably worth $42, $43 in an acquisition that we think um, he'll eventually sell over the next, uh, next couple of years as he's, it seems like he's simplifying his, his holdings. Have you met him before? No, uh, you know I have my own uh, podcast, and he's one of my uh, top five dream podcast guests. He would be uh, fantastic. He's fantastic. Um, we've fortunately made a lot of money, and I, I, I hope our clients have uh, investing alongside of him. And he's, he's a brilliant guy who has a fascinating uh, career and has really created a lot of value for shareholders. Except for me, who would be the other dream podcast guest, John? He, you know, you you are uh, you're, you're 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 definitely up there. I, I've been fortunate. I you know, I had uh, someone like Ken Langone, who was our first big guest. You know, the founder of, of Home Depot. Um, you know, there's this lot. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but John Malone is certainly up there. Obviously, you know, as a value guy, having Buffett or Munger certainly would be interesting. Although uh, uh, it might be a challenge to get him on my show. <laughs> is there any books that you'd recommend like people starting out that would uh, should read i mean i think anyone who's starting out should read the margin of safety by by seth clarman if they can get uh, uh, their hands on it uh the intelligent investor is obviously uh the bible of of value uh investing i think they just people need to read whatever they can really get their hands on i mean i spend you know few hours a day reading various publications. Um, and it's, it's critically important um, to do. Uh, and I just think you want to read books about, you know, different portfolio management strategies, how to value different businesses. And also, uh, any of the Joel Greenblatt books are also good. I mean, there's, there's really no shortage. It's more a shortage of time in the day. Yeah, I can agree with you there. What would you say? I mean, I, I think that the, the, the listeners probably know what makes you different from from other providers. I mean, obviously, you're purely stock pickers, you know, which makes you very different from the typical Wall Street analyst. But would you say there's other differentiating features that you haven't touched on already? Yeah, I, I think one of our biggest competitive advantages is we're patient. You know, I think it's a lot harder to pick stocks that are going to do well over the next quarter or the next year. I, I think it's, in my opinion, it's almost impossible. So I think our competitive advantage of, of looking at things that are, you know, two, three, four year time horizon, it, it really sets us, sets us apart. Um, it's also each one of our analysts, and we have a fantastic team who's been with us for, for a long period of time. They're all generalists. No one's tied to an industry um, 
so they don't have to justify their existence by writing stocks uh, on companies that might just not be good investments. So they're free to come up with ideas, any market cap, any sector, as long as they think it's cheap and have a have a catalyst. So I think that is you know sets us sets us apart. Um, you know. You know, we like to say, you know, industry specific analysts, you know, on Wall Street are great at telling you everything there is to know about a stock except when to buy it. Um, so that that's why we we keep that more of that generalist feel. Great stuff. And now, before we uh, round things up, could you want to give a couple of your favorite current ideas and perhaps maybe a couple that have performed well this year already? Uh, sure. I'll, I'll, some of our favorite ideas or names that we find interesting, you know, uh, my compliance team uh, w- would be very upset if I just talked about the ideas that did well. So I'll just talk about the ideas that we think will do well, um, which is, I think, more value for your for your listeners anyways. One that's interesting is a company called Scott's miracle Grow, which has gone from, you know, the two about $254 a share in April of this year to currently in the low 140s. So that's been a lot of value destruction in a, in a particularly short period of time. We think intrinsic value is about $240 or so. They've been a significant pandemic beneficiary in their traditional business, which is lawn and garden products, you know, seeds, fertilizers, et cetera. They also have a cannabis business that's growing rapidly. It grew 60% last year that at current levels, investors are practically getting for free. We think the reason the stock has gone down over the last you know few months, you know, margin pressures as well as difficult comps are more temporary in nature than um, secular problems. So I, I, that's that's one name we're particularly excited about, and it also kind of illustrates what we do. We love branded companies, and Scotts in its category is one of the best brands out there. You know, they're they're by far the category leader in you know. In gardening, if you go to any Home Depot or Lowe's in the United States, they're they're prominently uh, featured there. They have they have huge market share and fantastic margins. And because of the pandemic, they have a whole slew of new customers that are now gardeners that we think are going to stay. You know, one of the problems with the company a few years ago, with all these young people choosing to live in cities, uh, the traditional gardening business. Um, there was worries about you know the future growth rates. Now with people moving to the suburbs, that that, that fear has dissipated a lot. So that that's one name that we're particularly excited about. Another name, a very different type of name, is CVS, uh, uh, CVS Health Corp. It's a uh, it, it's it's a it's a really interesting story. It's trading at a similar multiple to, to Walgreens, you know, in the traditional pharmacy part of the business. But it also owns a, a health insurance company, Aetna, that they're not really getting the proper credit for, uh, and it's not reflected in the valuation. It's about an $85, $86 stock. We think uh, it's you know conservatively worth $123 a share. They're rapidly deleveraging. You're getting a, a nice yield while you wait, um, and they're continuing to build out uh, their health hub concepts, which people are getting health care within the different CVS uh, pharmacies. And one thing that's that's worth mentioning is they're a significant pandemic beneficiary as, you know, obviously there's con- you know, controversy over booster jabs uh, in the United States on who should get them, et cetera. But, you know, if they are given out, which we think they will be, you know, a lot will be going 
getting these done at CVS, which will help them uh, bring more people into the store and bring more customers there. So it's, uh, it's, it's a name that we're also excited about, but there's, uh, there's a whole host of stocks that have corrected, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30% over the last quarter or so, you know, that the major averages really aren't telling the whole story. So it's really an interesting time for, you know, stock pickers like ourselves. Great stuff. Well, that's been a, that's been an excellent roundup of the Boyer Research Service and um, given our, re- our listeners some some key ideas to think about for the for the coming months. So, thank you so much, John. Always a pleasure. No, thank you, and, and thank you for your support through the years. It's really been terrific. It's been a great uh, relationship for for both sides, and uh, looking forward to when the world goes back to normal and we can do some of these shows in uh, in London. Yes, very much looking forward to having you back. Or perhaps I'll come back to, or perhaps I'll come out to New York and show you around some funds in your own backyard. I w- that, that would be most welcome. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Thanks, John. Take care. Thank you. Talk soon. Bye-bye.